So as we were walking up and Steve comes up, I go to open my iPad and turn on my, like, open my notes. And the app that my notes are in is, like, updating. And I was like, well, this is going to be very interesting tonight. Um, but it's all good. It updated literally, like, right as I stepped up here. And I was like, cool, we're good. Um, yeah, we're going to finish up kind of talking about Peter um, tonight. Wow, that that's hot. Um, okay, there we go. All right, so... The full story of Peter does not end um, with how reactionary he is, how he like jumps to conclusions. He doesn't think, and I think some of us are kind of the same way that like when things come up, sometimes we just like act and then we're like, oh, maybe, maybe that wasn't the best course of action. Like when I was um, 14 or so, I've got two younger brothers and the middle one likes to terrorize the younger one. Um, There's a seven year age gap. And one day, and I like, I'm the good big brother. So I would like stand up for my youngest brother. Um, And one day my middle brother was chasing my youngest brother around the house. And I was like, dude, leave him alone. So I chased him into the kitchen and he ran on one side of the the kitchen table and I was on the other side. And we're kind of doing that thing where we're like going back and forth around and around. And I pick up my youngest brother's sippy cup. And this is not just like like a, a thin plastic. This thing probably weighs like a pound and a half. It's full of milk. And I just, everything I've got, just chuck it at my brother and he ducks and it hits the window behind him and it breaks the window and we both got in trouble. And my mom was like, what did you do? And I was like, well, if he wouldn't have ducked, I wouldn't have broke the window. Do you guys think I thought before I did that? No, not at all. I just reacted. I was upset. I was mad. So boom, we did that. And then like Steve was saying, he taught about kind of overcoming failure. And he highlighted uh, this story of Peter, where Peter rejects and denies knowing Jesus three times, literally hours before Jesus goes to the cross. Jesus was just arrested. And out of just trying to preserve himself, Peter says, no, I don't, I don't know Jesus. I don't know him. But then Jesus comes back and he meets him with forgiveness and reconciliation to restore that relationship. When Peter is at just a super, super low point, um, but that's not it. That does, it's, not, it's not what we finished talking about Peter tonight. We're going to focus kind of on this, this passage in the book of Galatians. So if you've got a Bible or if you want to turn there, you're taking notes. Galatians chapter 2 um, is where we're going to read from. Um, and I highlighted this. I talked about this passage just briefly when I taught a couple weeks ago. Um, this was a letter that Paul wrote to Christians in this area called Galatia, which is in modern day Turkey. And the religion or the spirituality of the people there at this time, they were Celtic pagans. They did not worship one God. They had a lot of different gods just kind of for different, uh, they had gods of the trees and the sun God and and the God of the moon, all these different gods that they would kind of worship in their own way and just recognize the idea of one God was very, very foreign to them. And when Paul is writing this letter, we're going to read in Galatians chapter 2, um, he, there's a story where he, he kind of focuses on Peter for a second, and he really just throws some shade at him. So um, in case you guys haven't been here for the last couple weeks, or, or maybe this is your first time here, if it is, welcome, glad you guys are here. Um, Peter uh, in the New Testament is one of the best friends of Jesus. He is part of this inner circle that Jesus has with Peter, James, and John. And Peter would go on to do all this incredible stuff 
in the name of Christianity. He would share the gospel. Thousands upon thousands of people have trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior because of Peter's testimony and his preaching. So Peter has this very influential role within Christianity. And so does this guy named Paul. Paul is writing to the people of Galatia. And then when he gets to talking about Peter, he kind of like roasts him for just a second. So in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 is where we're going to read. And it says, but when Cephas, now Cephas is another name for Peter, same guy. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas, who was kind of the guy who was traveling with Paul, Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? So Peter, Peter comes to Antioch, um, and it says that he, Paul says, I opposed him to his face. Now, think about that. When, when I was trying to kind of like come up with an analogy, initially I was like, this would be like you calling out the president to his face. And I was like, well, most of you guys probably want to do that anyway. Um, so maybe that's not like a pretty big moment. That's like something you're like, yes, I want to do that. Don't think about it that way. This is not like, yes, I finally had the opportunity to call out somebody. No, this, is, this would be more like if you were to call out Steve for being hypocritical. And I didn't tell Steve I was going to say that, so I was not really sure how he was going to react. But like, think about it. it. Like, let's say Fourth of July is coming up, right? And Steve says, "Hey, Fourth of July weekend, you guys have a great time, have fun, but be responsible." And then Monday, you go on. I don't know, Instagram, I guess, because you probably don't actually look at the real news. And then you see that Steve got arrested for a DUI. That I really hope that doesn't happen. That would be. That'd be wild. But let's say that that happens. That would be hypocrisy, right? That would be hypocritical. If Steve's like, hey, be responsible, use your best judgment, like don't go out and do anything wild. And then Steve gets a DUI, that, like, that's not a good thing, right? So it would be like, if you were like, hey, Steve, what are you doing, man? Like, you can't do that. Not just because you told me not to, but like, that's not beneficial for you. That's not helping you further your cause. Like think about the impact that that would have on the community of people who go to Ecclesia. They were like, whoa, whoa, your pastor does what? Nah, I'm out. Like, I mean, if he can do that, I can kind of do whatever I want. That's more the situation. This is not like a good thing where you get to roast somebody who needs it. This is you calling out somebody who has a position of authority and influence. And you're like, hey man, like where you're at is not a good spot. So that's, that's where Paul is at. Um, but Peter, Peter is, is, is out of line. It says that he was eating with the Gentiles. Now, this is not a bad thing. Actually, especially if you're Paul, this is a good thing. This is someone who loves Jesus, who is passionate about sharing the gospel with people. And he is spending time with people that would have been seen as ceremonially unclean. He's not hanging out with like with religious people here. He's spending time with people who are considered unworthy. That's a good thing. 
Because what he's doing is he's bringing a message of hope and, and, and trust and, and, and freedom in Jesus to these people. But then it says that a group of Jews showed up and all of a sudden, and I talk, talked about this, he kind of reacts. He's like, oh no, I need, I need to look good in front of these other Jewish people. Peter had grown up in the Jewish culture, in the Jewish tradition. It was, this, was, this was a theocracy. Their government locally was run by the church. I don't know exactly how old Peter was, but for about two decades of his life, he had grown up in this super legalistic Jewish society. And Judaism was very much about like, what have you done? Have you done these bad things? Have you done these good things to make up for it? It's very much about you need to, to, to kind of like solve the problem. You need to fix the problem. You need to just be as good and holy as you can be. And if you do that, God will see you as righteous. So here's Peter spending time with these unclean people and then when the people kind of from his childhood show up, oh no, I need to look really, really good. Have you guys ever been in a situation where like maybe, how many of you guys are from out of state? You're not from Oregon. I'm not from here. A couple of you guys, I remember when I moved to Oregon, the first time, I'm from Louisiana, the first time I saw somebody with an LSU shirt on, I literally rolled down the window and screamed, go Tigers out the window. And other people looked at me like I was crazy. And the guy wearing the LSU shirt turned around and goes, go Tigers. And I was like, yes, my family, my homies. Nobody really says that anymore, do they? Um, I'm trying to get you guys to open up. Come on, just laugh at me. It's funny. Um, no, so, so there's that. But then if there was somebody who, who I'd gone to middle school or high school with, and I saw them, even if I wasn't friends with them, maybe I would act a little bit differently. Right? Sometimes we change who we are based on who we're with. And one of the things that we can call that is we can call that peer pressure. Now, how many of you guys, you don't have to raise your hands for this, but like we grew up where like teachers were always talking about like peer pressure and like don't do drugs, don't let other people talk you into drinking or, or all these different things. When I was a kid, they had these things called after school specials, which was like the worst acting you've ever seen, trying to convince you to not do things that you shouldn't do. Um, it was literally like, hey, what are you doing with those drugs? He's like, oh, I'm going to sell them to kids. And he's like, don't, I'm calling the cops. Like, it was like really, really, really bad. Like, don't fall into peer pressure. Have good friends. Like, it was like these, these super late, like, it was the 90s, guys. It, it, it happened that way. And you guys are like, man, I'm really glad I didn't grow up then. Like, that's kind of how, and that's like how our teachers talked about peer pressure, even probably when you were still in high school. Like, make wise choices, have good friends, be a good influence, all these different things. But peer pressure doesn't just like show up in people who are like, you know, wearing striped shirts and like a ski mask sort of thing. Like, they're not just going to be like, hey, commit this crime. Like, that's not how peer pressure works, right? Peer pressure works when it's someone who is your peer. You see them as your equal. And, and a lot of times it's, it's to impress somebody. It could be for popularity where you like, oh, I want them to think I'm cool. Or, or maybe it's to impress a girl or a boy and you do things that you wouldn't normally do. It's outside of your character. When we, when we look at Peter in this story, he is doing something that's outside of his character. What he's really doing is he is returning to somebody that he used to be, that he's not anymore. 
He grew up in Jewish culture and in Jewish society and being a good Jewish person was like, that was, that was important, right? When I grew up in the South, like everybody is a Christian. Everybody goes to church. Everybody believes in God. And if you don't, you become a social outcast. It's almost the opposite here in the Pacific Northwest. If you go to church, if you believe in God, if you trust Jesus, you're like, oh man, you're like crazy. Are you like, oh, you believe in that stuff? Oh, like, I can't believe you. For Peter, he's spending time with these unclean people. And all of a sudden, as the Jews show up, he's like, oh no, I need, I need to stop eating with them. I need, I need to follow the rules. He steps back into legalism, letting the rules determine who he is and who he wants to be. And I think sometimes we can do that. Sometimes we, we know what the rules are and, and we spend so much time trying to follow the rules, we miss out on freedom in Jesus. I know especially when I was pretty new to, to following Jesus, it was so much about like, oh no, I don't, wanna, I don't wanna sin. I don't wanna do that thing. So I would focus on that and lose sight of just being able to enjoy a relationship with God. And, and Peter right here, this like, he, like, there's this thing called Pentecost where he spoke and 3,000 people came to trust Jesus for salvation. But, but Peter spoke in one language. He was like, hey, you should believe in Jesus. And all of these different people from all over the world heard it in the language that they spoke natively. That was this huge God moment where God used Peter to do incredible things. Right? Peter was, was, he made it to Rome and he would kind of help establish the church in Rome. And, and if you've got a Catholic background, like they recognize him as the first Pope. Like Peter had this huge role in sharing the gospel with people so that they would trust Jesus for salvation. But he was not even close to perfect. He's dealing with this peer, this peer pressure, right? And I think for some of us, it can be, like I said, with Peter, we're returning to things that we know aren't good for us. We're going back to, to who we used to be. We're, we're, we're not looking forward to, to the things that actually will fulfill us, but those things that are safe and that are comfortable. And we've all got those things, right? But here's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. It says, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You are created new in the image of God. And when you be begin following Jesus and he becomes the central point of your life, the old you is put to death. You are brand new. I'm the youth pastor at our church. So I hang out with, with our middle school and high school kids a lot. And the way that I like to put this is you have a new name. You have a new name, a new last name. We get our last name from our parents. I mean, maybe you've like legally changed your last name. And if so, that's cool, I guess. But, but for the sake of this analogy, like you get your last name from your mom and your dad. That's your family name. And when you begin following Jesus, you get a new identity. You are completely made new. Scripture talks about how you are washed white. They're spotless as a baby lamb. Like we are a new creation and Peter is that. Peter is a new creation because of him trusting Jesus for salvation. But that doesn't mean that everything that he used to do is just over and gone and done with. Um, when, when I was in high school, I got really into uh, using drugs and selling drugs um, and partying and smoking and all these different things. And then between my sophomore year and junior year, 
I gave my life to Jesus and I said, Jesus, you, like, you are perfect and I need you to save me from my sins. And, and some things that were kind of in my life, I shed them pretty quick as I like, ex- like just dove into this relationship with Jesus. I quit smoking weed. I quit using pills. I quit dealing drugs at school. Like, you know, quit committing crimes. That's probably a good thing. Um, I stopped sneaking out. I quit drinking. But one of the things that I couldn't really kick was smoking cigarettes for a while. Um, I, I worked at Popeye's. Anybody, anybody like Popeye's in here? Chicken sandwiches bomb. Uh, I worked at a Popeye's when I was in high school. And if you've ever worked in a fast food restaurant, like, you know, that especially like that dinner rush hits and you guys are college students. So you're responsible for the dinner rush, right? Cause you don't cook anything. Um, dinner rush hits and you're like in the weeds and you're like exhausted. And like, you are like, you're sweating just from standing there. And afterwards, everybody's like, yeah, I'm gonna go take a smoke break. And I don't know how many times, like, I didn't want that to be me anymore. Like, I quit smoking for the most part. But a, a coworker was like, hey, do you want a cigarette? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I do. It was this thing that, that, I, that I, I, I didn't want that to be who I was or what I was about. I wanted to show up different. But here I was, just like, just, just the offer. Hey, do you want this? Yeah, sure. My manager, my manager sometimes would be like, hey, do you want, do you want to go outside for a smoke break? And it's like, you're my boss and sure, why not? Like, like I, I found myself in positions where I let other people influence me into the things that I didn't want to be a part of anymore. This was something that like, I couldn't just like kick it easily and just like walk away. It was a struggle time and time again, over and over. I had to be adamant about not doing that. Fast forward a few years, I had stopped for the most part. It was this like occasional thing. I was following Jesus. I loved the Lord. I wanted to be a pastor, but I just I couldn't quite get away from it. And I was over 18. It's not like it was a legal thing, but it had this hold on my life where like I was, I was drawn back to it over and over. Even when I moved out here to Eugene from Louisiana, all my roommates smoked. So guess what I started doing again? started smoking again, just sitting out on the back porch or, or whatever it was. And then I met my now wife and we started dating. She was like, hey, I really don't like that about you. Now I had this honest conversation with myself at some point where I said, I'm not ever going to change who I am for a girl, but I don't want to be a smoker. So like, you know what? That's what I got to do. That's what I'm going to do. So in, in some way, I even let that peer pressure, because I wanted to impress her, like I used that on the positive because she was going to help hold me accountable to be who I wanted to be and to not be who I didn't want to be. Where for, for Peter, this the Jews showed up, oh, I'm going to assimilate back into that. I'm going to do what, what, I, what I know and what is comfortable and what is useful. Instead, with Rebecca, when we started dating, there was accountability for me to not smoke cigarettes anymore. And I don't. I haven't. I promise. Love you. Um, like, that's, that's not who I am anymore. It's been years since I've smoked a cigarette. But every now and then, I'm going to be honest with you guys, every now and then, it's like the right time of the year and the weather's just right. And like, there's something that's kind of like nostalgia. I think back to that and I'm like, ooh, that, that'd be cool. And like, it wouldn't be. And, and, and I don't fall into that temptation. Why? Because I've got that accountability from my wife where if I started smoking, she would smoke me across the jaw and this would not be a very enjoyable experience anymore. Like, it wouldn't be like, 
<laughs> oh, man. No, guys, we, we sometimes fall into peer pressure back into the things that we have worked so hard to eliminate. Think about this. If you grew up where following the rules was the most important thing you could do, and then you get to experience the freedom of a relationship with Jesus, no longer are you bound to the rules. You have an opportunity to bring glory to the creator of this world, to the one who gave his life for your salvation. Man, that is awesome. You aren't, you aren't in slavery to that. You get to be free. And you get to respond with that. And that's where Peter was. But this old thing was comfortable. This old thing was familiar to him. Guys, we don't have to be enslaved to that. We don't have to, to let those things drive us. Instead, instead we, we should be surrounding ourselves with people who will not pressure us into the things that are in opposition to God that we will allow to hold us back. We should surround ourselves with people who will hold us accountable for our actions. Because again, this was not like this was not Paul like looking for an opportunity to tear down Peter. Because I don't want you to miss in verse 14 it says when I saw their context or their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. I said to Peter before them all, if you, a Jew, live like a Gentile and not a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? How are you going to hold them to an expectation that you don't even hold yourself to? Paul, in this passage, sees where someone who has a lot of opportunity and a lot of influence is making a mistake. And his goal in calling him out is not to shame him. It's not to guilt him. It's to say, I know you can do better than that. When I was a, what was I? I think I was a junior in high school. Um, I came home with an F on my report card in English. And my dad asked, what other language do you speak? Because if you get an F in English, what are you doing? Do you, what are you doing? Ryan, you're better than that. So I brought home the next report card and guess what my grade was in English? Not an F, that's for sure. It wasn't an A either, but it was somewhere in between. Had my dad not held me accountable to that? Like, like especially, like you start to get senioritis towards the end of your junior year in high school. Some of you guys, like, you're, like, in the middle of your, like, you're, or you're finishing your junior year of college. You're just like, I am just so ready to graduate and never have to turn in another research paper again. Like, can I please just be done with this? But if you've got no accountability and, and, and you don't have, like, the drive to discipline yourself in that, it is very likely that you'll just get lazy or, or, or you'll do something that, that's just counterproductive to your goal. Guys, Peter's goal in life, 100%, was to glorify and honor God with everything that he's got. But when he failed, when he misstepped, when he made those mistakes, he had people around him who were going to say, Peter, what are you doing? What's going on? And guys, tonight, I want to ask you that question. I don't want you all to answer because that would be like the most awkward thing in the entire world. But like, think about the things that you don't want in your life 
anymore. The things that you have worked really, really hard to get away from, the things that Jesus has even just brought you out of, there's freedom from that. But every now and then, they just creep back in. What's going on? We've got to have those people in our lives who will say, hey, what's going on? Who know us and have, have every single right to challenge us wherever we're at. Who can say, hey, let me see your phone. Let me look at your text messages. Let me look at your browser history. Hey, how are you spending your money? Hey, did you go to class? Hey, did you do this thing that you said you were going to do? Whatever it was, whatever the thing is that you just want to get away from, do you have those people in your life that you trust? Not just like anybody, because we've all got people who, can, who will just like ask us questions. But do you have some sort of a mentor? Are you being discipled? Do you have a coach? Do you have a, a professor? Do you have someone, a roommate who will call you out and be like, hey, what's going on? That's not you. This, is, this isn't who you are. Maybe it's who you used to be, but that's not who you want to be anymore. That's what Paul's doing right here. He's calling out Peter saying, hey man, Keep your eye on the prize. Rem- remember who you are now. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You have a new name. You are welcome into the family of God. And the things that you used to do, the things that you used to let hold you back are not your identity anymore. That's not who you are. You have been changed from the inside out by the love of a holy God who sent his son to die on a cross for your sins and for my sins, bringing us into a restored relationship with God that we could never do on our own. Peter shared the gospel with thousands and thousands of people. People's eternity was changed because Peter was willing to be used by God. But when he slipped up, when he fell, when he made mistakes, and just like Steve said, he he made those mistakes. He was met with grace and with reconciliation, with, with, with the opportunity to step back in and say, you know, I, I don't want that anymore. So do you have those people? Do you have the the network of people to hold you accountable, to love you unconditionally? Because it's not about like, I get the opportunity to to put you down or to, to make you feel guilty. It's I want to see you succeed in everything God has to offer for you. In the book of James chapter five, verse 16 James writes, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man has great power to prevail. Guys, when we talk to God, he hears our prayers and he acts. Not always the way that we want it to, not always on the timeline that we have, but God hears our prayers. But the other part of this direction is not just pray and confess your sins to God, but pray and or but not to pray to other people. That's not what you should do. That's weird. You should confess your sins to each other. Guys, I I have people in my life, primarily my wife, but also my boss, our pastor, Steve Gobel, who can ask any question he wants, and I'm gonna answer with honesty. Because I know, think about it this way, his goal, Steve's goal is never going to be, man, I want to catch Ryan in a lie. Man, I want a reason to fire him. Man, I want, I'm, I'm looking to tear him down. His goal is 
restoration. His goal is, how can I help you honor God in everything it is that you do? And I hope that you understand as you come here, we've got leaders in this room, we've got people in this room, you've got peers in this room who want to see you succeed in everything God has in store for you. Guys, when we follow Jesus, that comes with life and that comes with freedom and we get to live in that freedom no matter what our past holds. No matter what you've done, no matter what you are trying to escape or get away from, there is freedom in Christ Jesus. And we get to cling to that. We get to live in that. We get to celebrate life. And the Bible says not just like living life, not just walking around and eating and breathing, not just that life, but a spiritual life, an awakened life. And it says life more abundantly. I want you guys to think about that for a second. Whenever you have felt like you are trapped or enslaved to something and, and, or, or to someone and, and these things are just closing in on you and you don't want that anymore, there is a Jesus who is ready to meet with you wherever you're at and offer you forgiveness. That's what he came to do. And he put people here in this room, he's put people in your lives to help you walk in that to encourage you to walk in that. We as Christians were not meant to live in isolation, but in community with other people who recognize the same Jesus that we do as God in the flesh. So in just a moment, as the team comes back up and, and, and Brad and Jocelyn lead us in some more worship, my, like what, what, what I would love to challenge you guys with is to say, Jesus, these are the things that, that I feel like I, I allow myself to get stuck in in my past or that I allow people to push on me and I can't get away from that. Whether, like I, whatever it is, there is nothing too great to hold us back from the love of God. There's nothing that can do that. So as we go into worship, I pray that we can just take those things and we can say, Jesus, this is yours you, you died on the cross to take this away from me and that I get to live in freedom and in salvation.